Welcome to the Buckhead Church Podcast. At Buckhead Church, we are for Atlanta because we believe that God is for Atlanta. And these days, it's more important than ever to be known by what we're for. And we hope this podcast helps you in your life and faith. We want to help you find greater hope with fewer regrets because we are for you. If it's your first time with us, head over to buckheadchurch.org slash new so we can meet you and send you a free For Atlanta gift on us. If you're not already receiving weekly emails from us, make sure to head to our website, scroll to the bottom, click stay informed and sign up today. The best way to keep up with everything going on is to follow us on social media, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Buckhead Church app. But most importantly, I hope the following episode inspires you to take the next step forward in your faith journey this week. Enjoy. All right, I want to start out with a moment of uh, honesty and vulnerability. Remember, you're in church. So how many of you have yet to complete your Christmas shopping for this year? Can I see your hands really high up in the air? Look at that. It's awesome. I feel so much better that I'm with all of you. And so much, and there's so many more people in this room who saw those hands go up and they're like, I'm so glad I'm not those people. And if you're one of those people and you're feeling really good right now, I just want to let you know that there are only 371 days till Christmas 2022. Because I know that'll bother you and you can feel like the rest of us. Um, we love Christmas and our family. We love Christmas traditions and Christmas music and Christmas lights and movies and Christmas parties. In fact, truth be told, my wife would probably tell you this. We've been going a little too hard in this Christmas season. You can probably hear it in my voice. We've been uh, really milking a lot out of the Christmas season. And we're particularly excited this year uh, to be back in Atlanta for Christmas and pick up some of our old traditions here in Atlanta. In fact, one of them, uh, coming back to Atlanta, one of the benefits is you get to to actually visit the real Santa before Christmas, which everybody knows is at Phipps uh, Plaza. You, you know that. Um, we used to visit the real Santa every year. We've been visiting fake Santas but until we came back this year. Uh, a part of that tradition, by the way, uh, we uh, one year, happenstance, uh, just had to take, there was some bad traffic. There was a wreck on 400, go figure. And we had to um, go kind of snake through Brookhaven to get to, to Phipps uh, for our, to get there in time for our, our reservation to see Santa. And we went by this house and I couldn't believe what I saw. Um, in fact, afterwards, we had to go back and, and we made it part of our tradition every year when we go see Santa. Um, has anybody ever been to the, we call it the blow-up house or the inflatable house in Brookhaven? Some of you know, I heard a nasty secret that there, that does not exist this year. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, by the way, so I'm gonna help you with it real quick. I heard, I had to find out the story. This is probably an urban legend, but told, somebody told me that this is the backstory. There was a guy who moved into this neighborhood and it's right in Brookhaven, really nice neighborhood, big homes, a long Peachtree Dunn. Woody and he moved in and the first Christmas he put up an inflatable in his yard and somebody politely and kindly, maybe from the HOA or something came to him and said, Hey, like this is a classy neighborhood. We don't, we sort of don't do that in our neighborhood. So this is what he did in his neighborhood. He just decided if you don't like blowups, you're not going to like me as your neighbor. And I like Christmas. And like, he literally put a blow up or an inflatable on every square inch. I mean, it keeps going. Like, and, 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 and he, he, this is awesome. It got to a point to where like, it would jam up traffic in the neighborhood. People would come to see it. And then he started serving hot chocolate. People are hanging around. They're like, you don't like me now. Like, and then it, 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 people thought it was just in spite. He started raising money for charities, which was really awesome. And so like, um, I, I just love stuff like that. I love, uh, Christmas traditions. That's part of our tradition. Um, 
of Christmas. And we have religious traditions as well, as many, as many of you do as well. We uh, spend Christmas Eve in church. We uh, spend time as a family reading the Christmas story. We have a, a, a significant nativity scene in our house. Um, but the last few weeks in this series, if you haven't been with us, uh, Andy's been talking about uh, how the world changed the day after Christmas. And something that's gotten lost in our culture, in our tradition of Christmas, uh, that is really significant is this idea uh, that we're not just believers. I mean, yes, we're believers. This is part of our faith. We're to believe in this uh, child that was born into the world that came to be a savior of the world. But we're not only to be believers in that, we're to be participators in something. We're, we were actually... Uh, uh, intended to join in on something that we've turned this cultural trend of believing that this baby was the savior of the world. Um, we've missed out on the fact or overlooked or overshadowed the fact that the day after the first Christmas, everything changed because a king was born. He was a savior of the world, but he was a king and he came in the world to be a king. And this was really about a regime change. And it was about pledging allegiance to a new king. And today I want to talk about um, an often missed and overlooked uh, portion of this story. We've been looking at this story of these, these uh, uh, wise men that came and they came to, to pay homage and they came to pledge their allegiance uh, to this king. And there's two specific traditions um, that have seeped their way into our culture that are actually symbols that were in the first Christmas. And they're significant symbols because they're signals of something that happened at the first Christmas related to this king coming into the world. Now, full disclosure, this started as a Christmas devotional for my family and they're gonna be grateful because um, I, as a preacher, like I wanna preach a sermon and they're like, okay, like, can we just read the Christmas story and move on? So I'm gonna use it on you. Um, and if it goes really, really well, then they'll get it as well. But uh, I'm gonna test it out on you. It includes a little history. So if you like history, there, there's something for you. There's a little bit of math. Nobody really likes math, but I'll do the math for you. And then there's some cosmology, which uh, this is gonna be unfortunate, but has nothing to do with makeup. For some of you who are wondering, that would be the case. Cosmology is actually uh, this uh, interesting uh, part of astronomy that deals with origins. And we're going to talk about the origins of this king and how it's connected uh, to the universe. These wise men we've been talking about, um, for me, I'll just be totally honest. When I was a kid, they were always the strangest characters. They were the ones, if you were playing the game, like which one of these doesn't belong, you would pick them. They were always dressed nice and, and they stood out from everybody else and they were carrying nice things. And it was like, these guys just didn't fit in the story. And, and I was always confused because of the song, We Three Kings, are they kings? Are they wise men? They weren't shepherds. I, I don't know who these guys are. Later heard they were astronomers or are they astrologers? Are they advisors? I don't know what they are. However, we have a bunch of extra biblical uh, history that tells us about this office of magi, which by the way, in the Greek New Testament, the word that we translate wise men or scholars is the word magi. And it's not actually a Greek term, it's a Persian term that describes somebody who's a scholar of science or astrology or the supernatural or even the paranormal, which makes some of us nervous, but they were highly specialized studies. And these, these, these were scholars in those studies. And these, these uh, men or, or women that served this office of magi, they actually served the king. That was their, that was their role. And historically, we have evidence of, of these existing. 
as a service to the king to try to help him understand what was happening in the world, what was to come. And uh, there's, there's four ancient empires. Uh, for those of you who, who sort of skipped this period of history in, in school, um, these, these are four ancient empires that we all learned about in school. The Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek or the Macedon Empire, or the Roman Empire. Here's, here's what's interesting for us today. Did you know that before... Uh, the story of these magi, this was a very common office in this world at this time. These would have been well-respected. Some of the people that were seen as the brightest minds of the time that were in privileged positions to consult the king. In fact, there's two stories, specific stories in scripture where uh, there's a guy named Balaam in in one of the stories and um, he served the king of Babylon in around 1400 BC. And some of you remember, maybe remember Balaam and his donkey is an interesting story. And then a lot of you remember Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den, or if you watch VeggieTales, Rakshak and Betty and Daniel were in the, the, in the furnace, fiery furnace. And, and, and you, you, we, we know these stories, but did you know that each of them, Balaam and Daniel, they actually served in this office as magi. Daniel actually served for King Nebuchadnezzar. And in both stories, here's what's interesting, both in the story of Balaam and in the story of Daniel, these magi... Uh, referenced all four of these kingdoms. And did you know that both of them were living at a time in the midst of the Babylonian empire? These other three empires hadn't even existed and they acknowledged the emergence that would come of these, all four of these empires hundreds of years before they existed. And in both occurrences, it's noted that none of these empires would reign forever. They would all come to an end. None of them would endure and in the, the account with Balaam in Numbers, in Numbers chapter 24, there's this prediction, and you may have heard this because this is connected with Christmas oftentimes. There's this prediction that a star, a star will come out of Jacob, who was the, the beginning of the nation of Israel. He was later, later renamed Israel. A star, meaning a significant person would come out of, of, of the line of Jacob. A scepter. A further descriptive, a scepter will rise out of Israel. And the magi of this time would have known that this was a signal, that a king, a king who would hold a scepter, a significant king would come out of the nation of Israel at some point beyond these other four empires. Now, another thing you need to know about these guys is they came a long way. It's reasonable to think that they came, they traveled some 800 miles from Babylon. These were not Jewish men. Well, however many of them were, we think there's oftentimes we associate there's three because of the three gifts, but whatever this band of scholars, this, these wise men that came, they traveled a long way. It may have taken them uh, over a month by camel. And they came on this pilgrimage. We talked about this. They came to pay homage to a newborn king. This wasn't part of their Jewish religion. This was them understanding history, them connecting it to signals in the sky. But my question is, why this king? Why now? If you're somebody who's here today and you're sort of a skeptic, and sometimes you read things in the Bible and you're like, this doesn't even make sense. It's a leap, it's a jump, and, and people gloss over that, and, and you're, you're sort of an intellect or uh, you're somebody who's an academic. I'm so glad you're here today, because that's me. I'm a skeptic. And I thought, why this king? Why now? Like, I mean, did, 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 is this made up? Did somebody, did somebody connect this idea because of what it was going to be predicted in the past? I mean, there were so many other significant kings that had come and gone. Cyrus the Great changed the world. 
The Xerxes dynasty reigned for a really long time. Alexander the Great is, is a fixture we all have heard about in, in history. Caesar Augustus, who was currently reigning at the time. These are all significant kings in history, significant emperors and people who reigned the world. But these guys, these magi, they knew something other people didn't know because they were paying attention to things other people weren't. So some of you have experienced this in your life where you were paying attention to something and you saw it coming. You were paying attention to certain signs or certain signals or certain indicators of things. As parents, most of us do this for our kids. If you have children, you you try to pay attention to certain signals and signs to help them anticipate what's coming. And that's exactly what these men, the brightest minds, the, the most brilliant advisors of the time in the greatest empire in the world, this is why they came. The scriptures tell us that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem village, Judah territory, this was during uh, King Herod's, uh, his his kingship, a band of scholars. And this is our word. I'm reading out of the message because I like when I read narratives. Sometimes I like to read the message translation of the Bible because it it reads more like a story. This band of scholars, which in the original language is our word magi, they arrived in Jerusalem from the east. And they asked around, where can we find and pay homage to this newborn king of the Jews? And then they mentioned this star. We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth. We're on a pilgrimage to worship him. Now, this this star is something that's often been misrepresented or misunderstood. People thought it was in the eastern sky, meaning it was east of them. But that's not what happened. They had come 800 miles from the east. And what they were basically describing was, when we were in the east, we were out in the east in Persia, we saw a star in the sky, and it was like the star that was indicated years ago of the scepter that that would rise in the sky, an indication of a new king that was coming. And so they showed up and we call this star now the star of Bethlehem. We, we know it as the star of Bethlehem, but they didn't come to Bethlehem. And this, it's interesting because um, we know a lot more about this star now, but they came to Jerusalem. And you would think, well, they're the brightest. You said they were the brightest, most well-read, most progressive thinkers of the time. I mean, how in the world would they have made this connection? And We now know because of history and because of science, we know so much more about this star and we know what they were paying attention to. We now know what they saw that nobody else saw. In around the 1600s, there was a German philosopher, or German uh, astronomer named Kepler. And he was the first to observe this rare planetary conjunction in the sky that, it, that involved Jupiter and Saturn, which were significant. I'll tell you more about that in a second. But they, he recognized this planetary conjunction that made this brilliant star in the sky that wasn't a star at all. It was actually like our moon. It was the sun projecting on these two planets, and it made what looked like this really, really bright star in the sky. This is in the 1600s. And then just recently, in around 2007, Grant Matthews, and you can look all this up online. You can read his research. It's brilliant. Grant Matthews, a cosmologist uh, at um, Notre Dame. He's also a professor of astrophysics. Just a really, really brilliant guy. He discovered, using NASA technology, he discovered that in 6 BC, 6 BC, there was an unprecedented conjunction in the sky that involved not just Saturn and Jupiter, but also the sun and the moon and the earth. And this would have created such a bright star in the 6th century BC. 
It, one that was literally unprecedented. He couldn't go back as he rolled back uh, the, the models. He couldn't find it further back in history. And he discovered that it wouldn't happen again for 16,000 years. This was truly a unique single signal in the sky that would have caught the attention, attention of people who studied the stars, people who studied the universe, people who were trying to figure out not only origins, but were trying to figure out what was coming next, where the world was headed. The other intriguing thing about this is we know uh, from the scriptures that Jesus came, as we read, during the time of Herod. And the time of Herod's rule and the census of Caesar Augustus, it's widely uh, uh, agreed upon that those two events could have only happened between 7 and 4 BC during that time period. It's debated on when exactly Jesus's birth was in that period. But isn't it interesting that now, 2,000 years later, we know of a unique star, in fact, an unprecedented, a one-of-a-kind star that would have risen in the sky in 6th century B.C. Grant Matthews uh, created a model of what that would have looked like from space. And you can see, here's the sun and here's the earth with the moon and, and Jupiter and Saturn. And they would have all lined up, all these stars lined up, would have created this brilliant star in the sky. Now, here's why this is important. And here's why the Magi came. Because Jupiter was the equivalent of Zeus to the Romans. Remember Zeus from Greek, uh, Greek mythology? He was sort of the king of the gods. He was the, the leader of the gods. Well, uh, Jupiter was, was the equivalent in the Roman society. And Saturn was associated with the Jewish religion. And so these magi would have put those two things together, saw the star in the sky, knew the prediction of the magi uh, from 1600 BC, and then they decided they were going to make the trek to see who this new Jewish king was. Now, logically, they would have gone to Jerusalem, which is why they showed up there. They would have showed up there because that's where the royal family was. That's where Herod lived. But they showed up in Jerusalem and realized that this newborn king wasn't there. And as Andy talked last week, um, they had a very interesting exchange with Herod. And when Herod found out that they were trying to find a newborn king, he felt threatened by that. And not letting them know, he sort of was conspiring to get rid of this king. Uh, eventually, with his help, they find their way to Bethlehem. And when they arrived, I love how the scripture describes what happened. These outsiders, these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people who swore allegiance to serve a king 800 miles away, they could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They had arrived at the right place time. They entered the house and they saw the child in the arms of Mary, uh, his mother, and overcome, overwhelmed. After all of their travel, after all of their study, after anticipating, after seeing, after wondering, after all their perseverance, they were overcome and they kneeled and they worshiped him. And then the, sort of the second signal beyond this star, they, they opened their luggage and presented gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. This is another symbol and signal other than the star, this, this idea of gifts and presents still continues in our culture today. And these gifts were significant, not just because they, they were valuable, they were. As a matter of fact, in that society, frankincense and myrrh were actually more highly valuable than gold. So these were some of the three most precious things on earth. 
But beyond on that, they were deeply symbolic. Now, I don't know if you're into things like this, but I love sometimes to read some of the ancient writings. And there's a, a guy in 248 AD. His name is Origen of Alexander, and he was a devout follower of Jesus. And uh, because at that time, we actually didn't have a Bible like the people there didn't have a Bible like you and I have today, where the, we have the complete story and it's all put together. They didn't have all that. So Origen of Alexander wrote this thing called Contra Celsum. And you can go look this up. You can, you can read this. And in Contra Celsum, he makes a defense. In fact, for centuries, it was considered the most widely complete defense of Christianity. And it was sort of a staple of the early church. People use this. Uh, when people made attacks on the claims of Christianity, people used this uh, to counteract them or against these attacks on the church. And when outlining, this is so fascinating, just hang with me for one more minute. When outlining the foundational significance of Jesus' coming into the world, of this newborn king, when he, when he got to sort of the, the pinnacle of the explanation of why this was so significant, he pointed to the gifts of the Magi to illustrate. And Origen, in his book, he says that gold would have been associated in that time period with royalty, and some things never change. But this was, this was associated with, with people of, of royal descent, of royal birth, indicating that we'd been given, the world had been given the gift of a ruler, and frankincense uh, was, was associated uh, with deity. It was something, it was an incense that was often burned uh, in, in worship to all sorts of deities. Not, not just the God that we serve, but all sorts of gods in that period. It was a very precious uh, way for them, uh, symbolic way for, for them to uh, sacrifice in a way to their gods. And, and this, this was the gift of, a, of God's divine presence, an indicator that this newborn king would be a divine king and it'd be the presence of God among people. And then finally, myrrh. Myrrh uh, was connected with mortality. And this is a little bit morbid, but myrrh was an embalming substance and it was used to, to preserve bodies once, once they were buried. And it was an indicator that this newborn king would be the gift of a sacrifice. I just want you to think about this for a second. This is extraordinary. If you're somebody who's skeptical, you, you know, you're, you're, you, you hear all the theories, you hear people talk about, uh, you know, the, the problems with things that we don't understand for centuries. We didn't understand about this star. This felt like a made-up idea with this magi group that don't seem to fit in the nativity scene and, and in the story, and they're not Jewish, and who are these guys? And here's what I don't want you to miss. The creator of the universe literally aligned the stars in the sky. The stars that he placed there, the stars that he created, he aligned them in the sky so that you and I wouldn't miss the greatest gift in the history of the world. A gift that would be significant to us, the gift of a king that would not only be a just ruler, he would be God's presence among his people and he would ultimately sacrifice his own life to provide something for us that we could not provide for ourselves. You know, I know you know this, the greatest gifts that people ever receive are ones that they not only want, but the ones that they need. So gifts that we want and that we need. Some of you have received gifts like that from people that really know you well and they do some research or they listen to you talk and they've anticipated something you wanted and maybe in Christmas's past, you've received a gift that was something you exactly, exactly what you wanted and it's something you, that you needed. 
And then others of us have received gifts that were kind of like, huh? Like, have you even been paying attention? Like, I don't even, I don't even enjoy doing that. I haven't played golf in 12 years. So like, I, you buy me a new set of clubs, whatever it is. That's not true of me, but uh, for some of us, maybe. Um, but but you, you know how it is when you receive a gift that you want and you need. And, and some of you experienced seasons of life where on the front end, you wouldn't have said you wanted it or you needed it. But looking back, you look back and you think, you know what? I wouldn't have chosen to go through that. Maybe it was the loss of a job or the loss of a parent or a a, a broken relationship. And you wouldn't, looking back, you wouldn't have chosen to do it. In fact, you didn't want to go through it in the first place. But you look back and you think, that's exactly what I needed. Seven years ago, my wife and I were confronted with a circumstance just like that. We felt like God had aligned all sorts of things in our lives and was asking us to move. That might seem strange to some of you, but it was super clear to us. In fact, some of the things that happened in the process, I could not deny that they were supernatural. It was just conversations we had with people, things that happened. I'm like, they could not have known. Like, there's no way. And God kept opening these doors and we kind of made this deal. God, okay, we're gonna be open. And as long as you keep opening the doors, we'll keep walking through them. And as we kept walking through them, it became clear that, he wanted us to pick up and move um, our family from, uh, from, from Atlanta to Phoenix, which was like crazy to us. Some of you know our story. We used to live in a neighborhood with my brother and my sister, uh, their spouses and their kids. And our, our, the cousins got on the bus and they went to school together and we spent holidays together. And it was like, I, I just didn't think there was a better situation than that. And, and I, I, at the time, I was the lead pastor at North Point, and I didn't think there was a better job in the world. I wasn't looking for something else. I didn't want to do something different. And we left to go to a really difficult situation. The church was in a difficult um, season where the previous pastor had had a moral failure, and there was all sorts of challenging circumstances that we walked in. And people were incredibly skeptical when we got there. And if I'm really honest, the first two years, they were terrible. They were really... Um, I don't know that that terrible even fully describes it. We felt um, uh, oppression. We felt lost. Uh, My wife went through some difficult um, health issues in that season. And it did not feel like a gift at all. It wasn't what we wanted. And it certainly didn't feel like what we needed in that season. And in time... As we continued to trust in the God who led us there, things began to turn. We began to develop some deep relationships with people there. People began to rally around our family in a way that um, we had never seen people rally around us before. We got to experience some extraordinary things in that church and as a family, as our kids got involved. And we had uh, so many amazing adventures uh, out west national parks and the Grand Canyon and all sorts of things. And, and what's extraordinary is as we've gotten here and we're looking back on that last seven years of our life, do you know what's interesting? It's exactly what we wanted and exactly what we needed. See, when Jen and I, early in our marriage, were first trying to Uh, We had a mentor couple that challenged us to sort of put out a goal or to develop a vision for our marriage. And after a long period of time, we landed on this statement. And the statement was that we wanted to finish life together, having experienced an abundance of faith, love, and fun. 
In those first couple of years, we've never had to cling to our faith more than we did in those years of resistance and oppression really is what it was when we first went there. We were more dependent on God than we had ever been in our lives. To experience the love of people around us that uh, we're so far beyond friends that are lifelong family to us now that we love deeply. And the fun and the extraordinary sweet season, we would tell you the last couple of years have been the sweetest season of our lives. And looking back, I would have never chosen it. I would have never thought I wanted it. But in the end, it was God's path to lead us to what we ultimately wanted and what we ultimately needed. It led Jen and I to a place where in our marriage, we became stronger than ever. Uh, and a, as a family, it sort of galvanized our family together as we were sort of in this foxhole experience together. Um, I became a better leader, a better husband, a better father. It's exactly what we wanted and exactly what we needed. And here's the thing I don't want you to miss about Christmas. As it turns out, the gift we received at Christmas was not only something we all wanted, but it's something we needed as well. The, the three greatest problems, don't miss the, the three greatest problems that humanity faces is sin, sorrow, and death. Sin, sorrow, and death. The gift of Christmas, the, the, the gifts of these magi represent the gift that was given to us in this Savior King. No longer would we have to try to pay back our own sin debt. We would no longer be bound to that. We'll be free from sin because of what Christ did to sacrifice his life for you and for me on the cross. In terms of our sorrow, Jesus said, in this world, you're gonna have trouble, but take our heart. I've overcome the whole world and I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. My presence will be with you even in your darkest, most difficult times. And then death, something we all face at some point. The truth is, is death no longer rules over us. Because Jesus, after coming into this world, he kept his eyes focused ultimately on what he came to do. And that was to give his own life in order to conquer sin and death on our behalf on the cross, proving that he could resurrect all as he was resurrected to new life beyond the grave. The story of the Magi is an extraordinary story of the symbols and signals of God to you and to me to let you and I know that we matter to him. Nobody's ever told you. The story of Christmas involves some extraordinary signals to you and to me that you matter and that I matter. The story of the Magi, by the way, it's your story and it's my story. These were Gentiles whether we recognize it or not, God is still as he is in my life, as he is in your life. If we are paying attention, God still uses extraordinary supernatural means to draw people everywhere to himself. Some of you, that's your story this Christmas. God used some extraordinary circumstances in your life to draw you back to himself. These Gentiles, these foreigners, these magi that came from 800 miles away, they were among the first, don't miss this, they were among the first to come to pay homage and swear allegiance to their newborn king. In the church tradition, um, if you grew up Catholic or Anglican, you know this is the first epiphany. 
The reason it was called the first epiphany is because something dawned on them. This was a statement. The arrival of this Magi, these, these Gentiles, these foreigners from the East, it, it was a statement of just how serious God was in drawing all people, people even far away to himself, that he was in the business of drawing the whole world to himself. That was the epiphany. This wasn't just a signal in the sky, the star of a scepter of a, of a Jewish king. It was of the king of all kings. And from the very beginning, God signaled that Jesus would be a gift to all people everywhere. Now, we don't talk about this that often, but from the very beginning of his life at an early age, Jesus spent significant time in Egypt. He told stories about reaching out to Samaritans that were hated by Jewish people, Uh, He honored a Roman centurion for his faith. He sent his disciples to the ends of the earth. It's so powerful to me how such significant symbols from the first Christmas can be seen so clearly in our cultural traditions today. Don't miss this. This still exists. Many of you in your home, you have a star up on top of your tree that represents the star of Bethlehem. An extraordinary alignment of the stars signaling the arrival of the Messiah to the brightest band of scholars at the time who were in fact foreigners, who came to confirm to the Jewish people and to the whole world for centuries to come that the king of all kings had in fact come. And they brought presents, they brought these gifts. They brought these gifts that signaled God's divine presence the ultimate sacrifice of his son, Jesus, and the crowning of this once and for all king and this gold and this frankincense and this myrrh. And, and we today still put these presents around our tree. They're, they serve as symbols and signals to us of the gift that was given us at Christmas. You may think this is a stretch, but I want you to think about this for a second. Isn't it interesting that between the star and those presents, there's a tree this savior king would come and he would hang on a tree, a wooden cross, not only for you, for me, but for everyone we know, for everyone everywhere, people that we like and people that we don't like, people who are like us and people who are nothing like us. This savior king, he came for everyone who would claim him, who would pay homage, who would surrender who would claim allegiance to him as their king. Here's my prayer for you this year and every year after that you would choose to to see what seems like typical Christmas decor, a Christmas tree with a star and presents that you would see it as anything but typical. You would see it as the extraordinary lengths with which God went to make sure that you would receive the greatest gift that was ever given, that you would see it through a new lens you would see it through the lens of history, the lens of the universe, and that you would be overcome and overwhelmed with gratitude for the gift of this child, that you would choose or that you would choose again this Christmas to bow in worship and in submission to Jesus as your personal savior and your personal king. And like this random band of -of out-of-place scholars who really served as a model for us, who showed up in the town of David 
And when they did, we would respond as they did, as they entered the house and they saw the child. And in the arms of Mary, his mother, overcome, they kneeled and they worshiped. Once again, thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more messages like this, we've made it super easy. First, you can hit the subscribe button to get these messages on your device every week. Second, you can download our app from iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your apps. Or third, you can check out our YouTube channel. Just search for Buckhead Church and make sure to subscribe. Have a great day.